Are you struggling with your private practice? Do you need ideas about how to expand and grow your mental health practice? Would you like to listen to seasoned experts share their successful strategies and story of success? You've come to the right place. Welcome to Psych Biz Season 2. Greetings, fellow listeners. This is Howard Baumgarten coming at you with our next installment of Psych Biz. Yes, here we are in Season 2, and this is Episode 4. Sarah and I had the wonderful privilege over the summer of sitting down with none other than Lynn Grodsky, licensed clinical social worker and master certified coach, an expert in the field of psychotherapy and coaching and particularly business and consulting with other career practitioners. She is one of the early pioneers of written material and coaching other business-oriented people in our field and really kind of set the whole business coaching for business professionals in private practice field in motion. So I really think that you're going to enjoy this interview. She is one of the leading business coaches in the United States for small business owners. She really specializes in working with you, the therapist, coach, or other type of healer. Uh, Any helping professional will benefit from not only this episode, but really contacting her and, and working with her, especially if you're stuck and you're trying to make some important changes in your practice or even just getting ready to start your practice. I want to tell you a little bit about her books first, and then we'll roll the interview. Lynn has written six or so books on uh, really private practice development in different areas. Her initial groundbreaking book was written in 2000 called Building Your Ideal Private Practice. And it really, in a way, um, won some critical acclaim and was a bestseller for the W.W. Norton Company. And so, uh, you know, it really set in motion her own energy, and I think the energy of so many others in the field to become their own uh, business professionals, helping other businesses, and also inspiring so many people uh, in terms of taking risks, something that we practitioners don't like to do so often. And so in a lot of ways, her books really um, are written for what she calls the reluctant entrepreneur. She's speaking, by the way, right to me when she says that because, and I'm sure you, because I don't know about you, but it really is hard to make changes even with an entrepreneurial mindset because you're always worried about the other person and how it's going to impact. And if you're like me and you belabor over so many different choices that you have in terms of direction, Lynn is so good at helping you clear that up. So without further ado... Let's uh, listen to this amazing interview and that Sarah and I did with Lynn Grotsky. Enjoy. We are so excited to have the infamous, of course, she wouldn't agree, but I think she's infamous, Lynn Grotsky with us, who has written many books on private practice development and coaching and business development within the mental health field, as well as uh, she is a coach and clinical practitioner herself and runs a consulting business and does many other things uh, in in her career and her life. So we're very excited to have her here. Lynn, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Good to be here with both of you. Well, so we want to start by asking you just a little bit, you know, you and I met uh, through my course when I started it in 2000, and there weren't a lot of resources for businesses in um, private practice and especially in the mental health field. And so you're sort of a pioneer and I'm curious about how it is that you got into writing about the business of psychotherapy. Well, like some other people, um, psychotherapy was a second career for me, or maybe even a third career. And what I had been doing before I got my master's was I was in the family business. 
um, which was a scrap metal business, big multi-million dollar business. And I was my father's general manager of one division. And it wasn't the right business for me, but I liked small business and I liked entrepreneurship a lot. And when I left that to become a therapist, I kind of missed business. And I was um, talking in a peer supervision about a client that I was working with. And I was helping this client get a promotion. (laughs) And somebody in the peer supervision said nicely, but said, you know, that's not really therapy, what you're doing. And I said, well, what is it? And she said, I don't know, maybe something like business coaching. And I'd never heard that word before about coaching, but I found a course. It was a virtual school that offered business coaching um, degrees. And I went through that school and learned a lot about coaching. And when I got out of that, I realized that the people that I thought needed help the most in terms of business development were other therapists. That there was a lot about managed care that was coming forward, that just my colleagues seemed so clueless about things that for me felt really second nature. So I started teaching locally, teaching um, classes out of my home office, and uh, I wrote a manual. And then I thought, you know, it'd be good to write a book. So I read some. I don't know, some things about how you write a book. And one of the things I read said, send a query letter to uh, an editor. Like, look at who's, who has been the editor that's been thanked on your favorite books and send a query letter to that editor. So one of my favorite books was published by Norton. And I sent a query letter to the editor, just out of the blue, and said, I have this manuscript about building a private practice. Would you be interested? And I didn't have a manuscript. I just had this manual. (laughs) But I was like acting as if, right? And I didn't even expect that there'd be any kind of feedback from this. I just thought this will help me. If I put it out in the universe, it'll help me to write it. So um, I did get a response. And she said, yes, send it in. I'd like to read it. And at that point, I just got writer's block. I couldn't write a thing. So um, I hired a coach. And she like listened to me and said, you know, so you've been trying to write and you're really blocked. Yes, yes, yes. And she said, well, then I just uh, listened to the reasons for writing, you know, and you say you think it would be good for your career and it'd be good to have a book, but I don't think it's a big enough vision for you to be writing. You'd probably have to think about this and find a bigger reason. And I did think about it a lot and it was hard. And I finally really connected with what I wanted to deliver to therapists and and how much I really cared about the profession. And then I was really able to write. So that first book came out in um, 2000 and it was really the only book of its kind in the literature for therapists. You know, people had written articles, but there had not been a book written like this. And I, um, What I tried to do, because at that point I was teaching, I just tried to make sure it was my voice that I was using as a teacher. And that voice really resonated with therapists. It's a very informal kind of voice, you know, coaching them on and motivating them. So it became like a bestseller for Norton. And then I wrote a series of other books about the business of therapy and then about the business of coaching, since I was now also working as a coach and on the faculty of this coaching school. And then um, in 2018, I wrote a book about something that I've been watching happen. I've been observing in my own practice, which was my therapy practice. And I've been trained very eclectically in psychodynamic psychotherapy and CBT and a lot of other methods. But I saw that my practice was really being affected by coaching. And I was really bringing in and adapting a lot of coaching skills that was giving me a lot of leverage as a therapist beyond what most therapists were doing. So I was hearing from CBT therapists that their clients didn't want to do homework. And I realized that in coaching, we had a way to overcome that and to move clients into action. And I thought about how I'd been adapting that unconsciously or without a formal way of thinking about it 
or about questioning. And that, you know, as a therapist, you know, we have questions like, well, um, how do you feel about that? Or where did you learn to do that? Things like that. But coaches have these sets of really powerful, pointed questions that they use that get these aha moments from clients. And I thought, you know, I never learned that as a therapist, but I've learned it as a coach. And how could I teach therapists to do that kind of questioning? So I came up with like nine skills and um, a lot of other structure to use in a therapy session and bring some of the partnership and the action and the possibility into therapy. So that was the book, Therapy with a Coaching Edge, that came out in 2018. Wonderful. Yeah. You know, as you're telling our listeners about the integration of coaching within the context of clinical treatment, uh, I personally resonated with that because that sort of happened in my therapy practice as well. You start to uh, add techniques that you didn't learn in graduate school and that and that, and that are powerful that really do have this, as your book title suggests, a coaching edge, right, mm-hmm. within the therapeutic dynamic. Do you think that this advent of, as you put it, a coaching edge within the context of therapy is changing the dynamics of mental health treatment in private practices? And if so, how? Well, I do find that it's a style that a lot of therapists gravitate towards. In in my experience, often younger therapists really like this. It is a shorter term style. It's very constructive. It's very positive. It's very future um, orienting. And interestingly, what I find is a lot of therapists are trained out of this in their master's level programs or in their PhDs. And so when they come and talk to me about this, they almost want permission. Like, is this okay to bring this into a therapeutic uh, methodology? And, you know, I so I, those are interesting questions, I think. But I do find for a lot of therapists, it's a natural style. And they one of the things I think was helpful in writing about this and writing the book about it is it can be very validating for therapists and for some therapists, they just needed to know how to approach their clientele with this or how to integrate it into their methodologies. You know, just as an aside, so many of us take training and often after we take this training, it's really been fascinating, you know, a long workshop or whatever. Then we come back into our own practices, like in the isolation of our own practices. And we think, well, now what, you know, how do I integrate that into the way I've been working naturally? And I really wanted to, at the end of this book, to do that integration for readers. So I just didn't leave them wondering, well, I already do a psychodynamic approach. Where would I bring this in? Or I I work in a humanistic approach. How would this fit into body oriented psychotherapy. So I've really been thinking about this like on a, a lot of different layers and levels. I love that. And all of that dovetails into the business model. Like I'm thinking, how does this relate to business? Um, could you speak a little bit about that? Like, how is this good business? Well, I feel like um, it's good business to be able to know <coughs> what your market wants and to have flexibility and to be at the kind of top of your game in terms of what you're trying to achieve. So for me, you know, writing a book that's very pragmatic with skill sets, and that's what this book was. And, you know, that's what my um, business books for therapists have been. They're skill sets and they're ways that you can, you know, flip around in a book and find the techniques that work best for you. And we, I think, you know, when we switch to business, small businesses like therapy businesses really need to be customized. There isn't a cookie cutter formula. It is not, no matter what anybody tells you or any course uh, proffers, it is not one size fits all. There's so many different ways that therapists are successful 
in a business. So many different methods and models. So you just need to find what works for you and kind of stick with that, you know, and keep growing that and expanding on that. So I I feel like um, whether you're bringing in coaching or you're doing something else, you really want to have a way to define and brand what you're doing and explain it to a broader audience so that you can stay viable over time. I love everything that you've said. And as a small business owner myself, I really appreciate and think it's really valuable to be able to take these kind of entrepreneurship perspectives and ways of looking at things and really use them for you know, therapy practices. And I think that a lot of practitioners are missing that kind of part and are sometimes not even encouraged to think about things in that kind of very pragmatic and and business oriented way. So I think it it's great that you're, you know, fostering that skill set um, among practitioners. And um, I just, you know, you were mentioning these different skill sets and I'm wondering how you have seen, because I know you have a lot of therapists who talk to you and who, you know, get advice from you. So what have you seen more recently as people are kind of adapting to the changing times? Like what kinds of changes have you seen that people are making in response to that? It's been really fascinating to me. I I was thinking the other day that um, I went to this ethics uh, talk in 2019 by somebody that I consider to be like a really um, expert in ethics for psychotherapists. And he put out a question to the group and he said, what do you think about therapy that's delivered virtually or teletherapy? Is that fair? Is that good therapy? And 90% of the people in the room said, no, Yeah, this is not good therapy. And he said, what about when people are at a distance and they can't reach it? People said, well, maybe. So now here we are in 2021, right? And the entire therapeutic world shifted to virtual. And we all think it's valid. So it makes me think, you know, what else is there that where we get very locked in to the ways that we used to do things? And now I feel like we're in a post-pandemic world, or I hope we're moving to a post-pandemic world that's required us to do things very differently not just on a virtual stage, but I think that as I talk with therapists, they're thinking about other things that they kind of weren't sure they could ever really change or affect or do in a different way. And now they're thinking, well, wait a moment. Do I really want to work this way? Or is there something else that I want to do? So I'm seeing, for example, therapists that felt like They always wanted to have a solo practice. Now starting to rethink that and thinking about how can I collaborate more effectively? And there's a lot of models of collaboration other than just having a group practice where you have a bit where it's hierarchical and you just have an owner with um, people that, you know, are 1099s underneath or, or employees. There are other models of that. And I see therapists thinking about other models of collaboration, other ways to leverage expenses of a practice as we go back into an office. You know, therapists are like, wow, it's so expensive to rent office space that you don't really use. What other kinds of models could I use for that? I see therapists thinking about their branding uh, post-pandemic and what do they want to be known for now? And a lot of therapists are kind of rethinking how they've done therapy or what they've been um, addressing, maybe topic-wise or population. And is that what they want to be doing in the future? I've seen a lot of discussions about work-life balance. You know, we've been working hard the last year. Most therapists haven't taken any time off. You know, the demand has often been very great on a lot of therapists um, for services. And it's been hard work you know, because our clientele has been suffering. So a lot of therapists are like, wow, wait a moment. I can't keep going like this. So how do I manage? What is the best way for me to look at my calendar? And, you know, who do I need to be in order to say no to certain things? And to a lot of therapists are thinking about getting transitioning from insurance to fee for service. 
Um, and then, of course, I hear therapists saying, I want to diversify and have a therapy practice and then a coaching practice. And how do I do that effectively? And how do I market that? And what are the expectations? So I'm hearing all these conversations this last year that it's very interesting to me. And I think it's timely. And I really encourage therapists to look at this. And I'm sure, you know, through the work that you all do with therapists, this is a topic that is, if it's not coming up already, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come up a lot in the future. Because we've had a big pause to think about our practices. Lynn, you are speaking to every listener right now in such a direct way. I love that because they, I mean, I'm sitting here listening to you and saying, this is exactly my narrative. I, I went back on a couple of insurance companies to service the people that needed to be serviced that couldn't be serviced previously. And, um, you know, worked harder in the last 15 months than I have in the last 10 years, probably. And now in this post-pandemic, you know, kind of space we're moving into, I'm rethinking another shift. And so this, this quick shift into adapting meant, you know, getting uh, PPE materials and, 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 you know, the best possible uh, computer uh, and technology so that we can deliver services adequately uh, at, at, at worst and really awesomely at best. And then, and now all of a sudden uh, it's, it's how can I be able to have the balance exactly what you were saying? Um, I, I took my first personal vacation, which was really only about three days. Sarah knows this because we talked about it. It was three days, a week and a half ago, 15 months of literally almost every day other than one day of, on the weekend of doing either virtual or um, protected in-person distance therapy. Uh, and so what, what I'm feeling that I'm sure a lot of listeners are feeling are very much what you just said. And so part of me wonders, I know Sarah has a follow-up as well, is like, um, it just feels like there's so much going on. How does one really sort of like sit down and parse through the decision-making process? What would you, what, what would you, what would you tell them to do? When I first started um, training as a coach, the head of the coaching school, um, this guy named Thomas Leonard, who's considered the grandfather of coaching, he had this mantra that he applied to business and also to personal lives. And it's called um, integrity needs wants. Integrity needs wants. And I've been using this mantra for many years. And what it means is that the first thing, like I'll, I'll apply it to business right now. Think about integrity, like you're driving over a bridge. And the first thing that you would need to know is, is the bridge safe? You know, are all the bolts in place and is the steel safe? And, you know, is this a, a bridge that where I won't fall over the side? And then, so that's your integrity. Needs would be, do I have the, the gas in the car that I need? You know, and are my uh, windshield wipers clean so I can see out? And then wants might be, um, is there a song on the radio that I like to listen to? So this is a really good way to think about business and integrity issues with business are um, ethical issues. And it's been really interesting, the ethical issues that have come up during the pandemic, you know, and as people are trying to figure out, well, if insurance says that uh, I have to go back in the office and I don't want to go back in the office, could I just switch all my clients <clears throat> to become coaching clients? That's an integrity issue because that's a dual relationship because working with a client as a therapist is a very different relationship than working with them as a coach. So that would be something you'd really need to look at because you could lose your license for that and you could really um, mess things up in your practice. So we have to look at integrity first. Then we can look at needs. You know, what does my practice need right now? And you mentioned one thing, Howard, maybe it needs better systems. And maybe I've never used uh, an automated practice management system. Or maybe I've never used a scheduling system. Um, and, you know, so what, do, what does it need that I'm not offering it? And then we could look at 
And what do I want, you know, with the practice? Well, I want to take Mondays off. Or um, I want more clients that are actually going to come in and understand my fee schedule and my policies and adhere to them. Okay, so integrity needs wants is one way that you can think about prioritizing all the questions that might be coming up right now. Does that help to think to impose that on on a questioning time? Yes, that's that's perfect. I I think that's super helpful. Thank you. Yeah, and I just want to follow up with a question because I love talking about I love everything that you've said and you know that now that things have really there really has been just a huge change and a lot of the barriers towards telehealth and those kinds of things have really just gotten knocked down and what a year ago was you know, very unusual and kind of like a borderline questionable practice in a lot of people's minds is now absolutely 100% standard and accepted and seen as totally legitimate. Um, but I think as with everything, a lot of time when there's opportunities, there are also a lot of challenges. And so those therapists who are thinking either about, you know, they used to focus on in-person and now they really do find that they enjoy the freedom or the flexibility that they get from doing telehealth, or people who used to be telehealth, and that used to be their niche, right? Because that used to be really special and unusual. And now everybody's doing it. And so it's not going to differentiate them in the field any longer because now there's a ton of people doing that. So what kind of advice do you have when people come to you with these kinds of questions? Like, how do you guide them? Well, with the first question, If you want to take control of your practice and the way you work, you have to be outside insurance. And being outside insurance doesn't mean that you won't, that your your clients or patients won't get any reimbursement. But what it does mean is that you have to have a, a marketing plan so that people come to your practice for you. They don't come generically because they're just looking for any therapist. And this has been a real problem for us as a profession is it's been really hard to help people understand all the differences in therapists. And so when somebody says you need counseling or you need therapy, you know, people are, our markets aren't well-educated and they just think, okay, one therapist is like another and I'll just shop for price or I'll shop for convenience. But if you want to be outside of insurance, you need a, a compelling reason why people would pick you over just any other therapist. That's a different kind of marketing plan. You know, and it has to do with your visibility. It has to do with your reach in terms of um, how do you communicate what you're doing to other people. And there's a lot of platforms that are really good for this. And, and people will follow you and, you know, podcasting or your Instagram or your writing, or your you know YouTube channel. So there are a lot of good ways to do that, but you want to have a very clear message um, for people to find you. And then you know there is a process I like to take people through of transitioning off insurance so that it it's not too risky. You know, so that it's a kind of a step by step process. But that's something that therapists can think about, and especially now when there's so much demand in the marketplace and people or in some areas and some cities can't find a therapist. Everybody's full. And we know that, you know, when we look at like, I'll just give you one example of an area that's just overflowing is um, anxiety among uh, college age students. And, and uh, what's the generation um, that's fo- that followed millennials? That uh, cohort of people, are very high anxiety. And if you offer anxiety and in a way that can be understood in terms of your treatment for younger people, your services are really needed. And it it would probably be a, a, a smart plan to think about, could I transition from insurance? And, and be able to attract people. And especially if you like working with anxiety, that would be something to think about. Um, so, I think that's one way to have, to feel like you have control. And the other is just knowing how to market, you know, and that's, uh, you know, of course, in the work that the two of you do, 
that's an area that a lot of therapists are very uncomfortable with. But I always think about it as a form of education, right? And we're pretty good at education and a form of um, kind of clarity for an audience. So if you can get clear for yourself about who you are and what you're trying to offer, it's a lot easier to do some marketing. And all you're really doing is building community around your business, your small business. And every small business owner, no matter what they offer, at some point has to do this. Build a community of people around their business. Either it's a referral community or it's a community of direct consumers. So this is something that you have to do in the long term. And for that reason, um, you have to pick a way of doing it that you like. And there's so many ways to do this. That all, and they all work for different people. We just want to find what do you like to do that feels natural. And then you just have to repeat it. The whole breadth of your business, you'll have to repeat that. You know, and that's a, another thing that a lot of us as therapists feel like, well, I did that. You know, I did workshops. Or I, I talked to doctors. I didn't yield anything. And it's like they have no understanding in business how much it takes. It always takes so much more than we would wish. So I'll give you a little um, uh, business resource that I love, which is this podcast called um, How I Built This. It's an NPR podcast. And it's about entrepreneurs of all different types. And they just tell their story about how they built their business. And I love this because you start to hear these themes that run across small business and persistence is one. You know, and the people that succeed just don't mind how much they have to do. So we have to take that in as therapists. And unfortunately, you know, if you build a business, you're standing in these, you're wearing two different hats. So you're a clinician and you're a business owner and you got to do some of both. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And most of our listeners are listening through the podcast, so they can't see that the whole time you've been talking, I've been nodding and grinning like an <laughs> idiot because everything you say is so true. And it's exactly the things that I say to my clients because working as I do with therapists who are trying to establish an online presence and who often are encountering as they're doing that a lot of blocks just personally of you know, not feeling confident about putting themselves out there and not being sure that they're really comfortable with talking about themselves on their about page or, or whatever the different issues might be that I'm talking them through. The messages that you just gave are the messages that they absolutely need to hear. Um, and, and it's so true. And you know, I often talk to people about the idea that when you, you, can, you can rebrand the idea of marketing and don't think of it as marketing, but think of it as outreach because you have positive messages that people need to hear. And when you share those messages, whether through your blog or you do it through your Instagram account or wherever it is, it's not that you're saying, hey, I'm awesome, look at me, because therapists are so uncomfortable doing that, but that you're sharing the insight that you have into life that helps other people to have a positive perspective and to overcome the challenges that they're having and maybe at the same time realize how amazing you are and how much you might be able to help them whatever with whatever particular challenge they have. So I, I, I think that everything you said is just spot on. Um, and, and let me just add, yeah. add that's here. And that's a really good message. And for some therapists, it's still not enough. Yeah. So therapists, most therapists are introverts and that makes them really good clinicians. And it's still not enough. So usually what I would say to therapists is, what could you do? What small thing could you do that would be comfortable for you? Because I want people marketing inside their comfort zone. This is where I'm really different from a lot of other marketers. I don't want therapists going outside their comfort zone because as introverts, they just look awful when they do that. So I'm all about could you do? And I, you know, I've worked with so many therapists and I remember one therapist who said to me, well, I could ask people for lunch. I love going to lunch. I love going to restaurants. I could do a, a lunch plan. So we design, designed an annual plan where like every week she invited one person to lunch at her own expense. And we never knew if that was going to be a referral source 
or somebody that would just be an acquaintance or somebody that might be a friend. But we did know that at the end of a year, she would have 50 connections that would be a little bit stronger. And she loved to go to lunch, you know, and no surprise that built business. So that's all we're looking for is what could you do that feels natural to you, that feels like, oh, I don't mind that. And could you just do it in a way that allows you to talk positively about your work? So if somebody says to you, uh, what's new, that you can say, oh, I'm loving something I'm doing these days in the office, or I'm learning something that's really interesting to me in a natural conversational way. And could you repeat it enough to build that community and eventually, you know, attract the right kinds of clients? So I love what you said, Sarah. It's like, you know, that is the message. And then we sometimes we just have to chunk it down and chunk it down. Yeah. And I also love how I built this. It's a great podcast. So I yeah. think that's a wonderful resource for people too. I don't know why, but it puts me to sleep at night. I listen to it and I fall asleep. Something about the conversation, maybe it's about because I like business. It's like yeah. so reassuring to me. Oh yeah. And the stories are uplifting and they're, and mm-hmm. they're, you know, it's not so much about the practical advice because it's people from so many different businesses, but more about the mindset that they have. And that really, I think, is consistent among a lot of the people that they really do have, like you said, a persistence and an ability to be like, so that didn't work. And okay, so next, next thing. And there's a very, you know, matter of fact, like, here we go again, like, let's keep going. Um, Yeah. Partnership, you know, that's, we are, we are solo practitioners. That's a really hard way to go in business. And like, if you listen to that, how I built this, one of the things you'll hear is how many business, small business people looked for partnership, for a partner to do things with. And we don't often do that to our detriment. So I'm a big believer in, can you find peer support for your business? You know, we often find this for, for our supervision you know, for a caseload, but can you find other people that you can use as support where it's not competitive, right? Um, And it's just supportive. So somebody says, yes, Sarah, keep going with that, you know, and, and use me for accountability and let's brainstorm together. Well, and I, I, I talk about that in my book where I talk about in-field and out-of-field mentors, you know, people that we rely on that do what we do, and then people that are just in our support circles that might be in other aspects of business that can really be more objective uh, from their lens is really helpful in, you know, just tracking your practice, making the kind of changes that you want to make, and making sure that you are being held accountable to your value system and your business ethics. And so I, I appreciate what you're saying about that. And I really appreciate what you said about falling asleep to the podcast, because um, you're doing what you just told everybody else to do. You're routinely creating a process that you're not giving up on, right? I'm sure not every episode is going to speak to you, but you're listening to these episodes. And it reminds me of one something I hadn't really thought of that is helping me in business in my world. And that is, I, I'm a runner and I go jogging every day. And I do a lot of my CEUs by listening to books on while I'm running. And I realize that it's improving my clinical acumen and also helping me redefine and solidify the areas that I want to practice in. And that's a huge business advantage by just, just repeating that process. That has nothing to do with actually reaching out and talking with people, um, even though I think that's also essential. So all these little things, I also love what you said about comfort zone, right? All these little things within your comfort zone, you're making small changes along the way, holding oneself accountable while, um, while living what you love to do, right? Yeah, that's really nice, Howard. That's really, you know, and there's been these studies done about learning while you move. So I'm just imagining you running and that it's, you know, you're metabolizing what you're hearing. It's like bilateral stimulation, right? It's it's a form of, of, of you know, when you're not doing trauma work with EMDR, but you're, you're actually exercising your brain, you're integrating what you're doing and what you're listening to and learning 
Uh, I've listened to some powerful books that 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 you know and podcasts that have spoken to me in ways that I'll then come to the office and I will be find myself actually in action making changes without even consciously realizing that I'm doing that. And so I'm I'm hoping that our listeners are getting that you know part of what happens is as a business owner you take on this sort of systematic way of of leaning into again, within your comfort zone, leaning into business decision-making that starts to feel more and more comfortable. So if you are a new practitioner ready to start a practice or you're already starting a, or you're already in your practice and you have some insecurities about business, fear not. The more you put together these things, these actionable items that we're talking about, the more confident you grow, the more it becomes second nature. Yeah, good way to say it and, and to think about that so that, you know, a lot of us felt like um, if we were strong clinically, it would just naturally uh, translate into a strong practice without realizing, you no, know, once you're in business, you do have to have a, a practices and support and education for that end too. And of course, there's some therapists who, you know, they were just lucky or fortunate, and they didn't need to do anything other than just hang up a shingle. And that's really great. But I just was never one of those people. You know, so in my experience, when I first started my practice in 1988, I had this kind of idea of, um, if you build it, they will come. You know, I I started the practice, that should be good. And uh, I had a few clients. And one day, my husband, who's an architect, um, he came home early. It was around Christmas. And I said, oh, did they close the office down for Christmas? And he said, well, you got the first part right. You know, and it was a recession time in the Washington, D.C. area. And the office was shutting down. So he was without a job. So I thought, oh, oh, oh I guess I better get to work. I have to build this practice. But I had come from a business background. So I knew how to write a marketing plan for myself and how to follow that plan. And because I had that experience, I didn't need to worry, you know, and I wasn't, I didn't feel terrified about the fact that we were now going to be a one income family instead of a two income family. I just got to marketing. And so I I really love the idea of um, your listeners thinking, how can I educate myself in a, in a, a good way, in a comfortable way, in a fun way? about business, you know, what TED Talks could I listen to that are, are more about entrepreneurship, you know, or, or who do I like to follow um, as a, as a, you know, a, a, a blogger on this. So there's, we, we're lucky right now because we have so many resources available at our fingertips. So I think it's, it's great what you said, Howard, about just finding what supports you. Well, and one way that they can educate themselves is through your resources, right? Your books and they, you do private consulting as well, right? I do. So um, here's one resource I would offer to people. Um, You know, I have books and I have uh, building your ideal private practice that's been called like the Bible of, of private practice. And it was, um, we did the second edition in 2015. So that was before teletherapy. So you're not going to find much about that in there, but other things will be useful. Um, and there's a workbook that's really good to do with a group of people. And then there's some uh, crisis proof your practice, which was written during an earlier recession, but that has a good business model um, if you're struggling right now. And then some books about coaching, uh, the business of coaching. But on my website, um, privatepracticesuccess.com. There's a survey that I ask anybody who's coming in new to consult with me to fill out before we have our first introductory session. Um, it's under the strong start survey menu item. And you can take that. You don't have to come into a consultation with me. You can just use that survey to help you think about where you are in your practice right now and where you want to get to in 90 days. And it just structures your thinking. So that could be a resource, again, for anybody that's new 
building a business or anybody that wants to make some changes right now. And that's free right on the website. That's a great resource. And all your books are fabulous resources for Thank you. our listeners. We're grateful that you wrote them and I'm very happy. I want to, we're going to, uh, I want to ask you a closing question that we ask all of our interviewees, which, and you alluded to it earlier, you were talking about how this last year has been so difficult on practitioners and um, their work-life balance. And so we're very curious about, and I know our listeners would like to know, how do you create work-life balance in your life? What sort of personal things do you like to do to help balance out your work? Well, it's a really meaningful question right now because um, I was I was telling you earlier, um, I just wrote about a cancer diagnosis that I got in uh, last September. Uh, so, you know, along with how busy we all were, and I had just taken over as the president of my local social work society in the Washington area, and I got this unexpected cancer diagnosis. And of course, when that happens, it's like, uh, I call it getting on the cancer train. You know, it's like time just speeds up and you have to do a lot of things. And it was, a, a, fortunately, it was a very early cancer, but it was a very rigorous treatment. It was kind of an awful treatment. Um, and so I wrote for the networker about what that meant for me over the last year. And I actually closed my practice down for the two months so that I could just focus on the treatment. And then when I came back, um, I realized, you know, I'm not at full strength. So I'm saying no a lot more to things that don't either, they don't really give me, they don't generate income or they don't give me energy or they don't fulfill my value. And I'm just a lot more careful and selective. And, you know, I'm still going through, um, some rehab. So I have to make time for my physical therapy and, you know, my walks each day and all that kind of, you know, thing. So I'm just more careful and self-protective right now with my time and with what I agree to do and what I don't agree to do. And that's kind of what I'd hope. I'm hearing a lot of uh, clinicians talk about burnout. You know, they're tired and um, sad and sometimes really anxious in themselves. And it's not like in their own families that they're not dealing with either normal family situations or things that are heightened because of, of the pandemic. So I'm just really hoping for um, really good self-care. Sometimes we call it extreme self-care for clinicians to help you stay strong because you're such an asset as mental health therapists and um, we need you and we need you to stay at work, to stay in practice over time. You know, we want to have these long practices and, and you have to take care of yourself to do that. Well, and we're so glad that you're doing such good self-care and that you're healing because thank you. We, we all need you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm, I'm going to, I wanted to let people know, I'm going to give you um, the link to that article, because if you know people going through cancer, um, my hope in writing this and about what helped me through this process, I'm hoping that you can share it with others and it might, might help them. It's called um, Loving Ourselves into Safety. So it's a lot about a way to love yourself through a difficult time. That sounds loving beautiful. Ourselves, loving Ourselves into Safety in, this, in the uh, psychotherapy networker. So thank you for sharing that link with us. We'll put that in the show notes along with your website, privatepracticesuccess.com. Uh, Lynn, we are so wonderfully grateful that you took time to, to share with us your, uh, your career, your journey, um, your insights about business, um, your personal stories. Uh, we're glad you said yes to this. <laughs> um, I know that in this process of, of um, you know, picking and choosing the things, we're, we're glad that you chose us and our listeners, and we hope they'll choose you to, you know, to follow you and, and uh, your work. We, we, you know, I think it's so very important, Sarah and I both do, and I, mean, I know our listeners um, uh, will as well when they, when they hear this wonderful interview today. So thank you so much for being here with us. 
Oh, it's such a pleasure to be with the both of you. And um, it really gave me energy. So it was, it was great to be with you too. And Sarah, you have something to say. We're going to do another giveaway, right? Yes, absolutely. So what we've been doing is if you leave a review of the podcast, PsychBiz, on whatever platform you listen to podcasts, and then just email us with a screenshot of that review, and uh, you can pick any one of Lynn's books, and we will send you a book as a thank you. This is a limited offer. So be the first one. Um, and we're, we're excited to be able to share um, a few of Lynn's books with our listeners. So we'll put all that information in the show notes as well. Thank you. Wow. What a tremendous interview. I hope you enjoyed the show today please feel free to reach out to Lynn as you can find her information in today's show notes. She would be more than happy to talk with you, consult with you, or work with you on any change or new direction that you are looking to make. Thank you so much again, Lynn, for your kindness and your time and your uh, insight and experience. We're so happy to have had you participate with us in this wonderful episode. Listeners, tune in next episode as we interview another expert in the field of helping helping professionals. And that is somebody who hails from the UK, and her name is Jane Travis. And Sarah and I actually had a great interview with her as well. And she is just so energetic and exciting to talk with. I feel like I made a new friend in her interview as well. And so we'll have that episode coming up in a few weeks. Again, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Don't forget about Sarah's amazing offer to have a book sent to you. And all you have to do is write an honest review and uh, take a snapshot of it and send it on over to me at howard at howardbaumgarten.com. I'll be happy to send you a copy of any book written by Lynn Grodsky of your choosing. For Sarah Gershon, this is Howard Baumgarten. Make it a great, successful, fun day. And thank you for listening to Psych Biz. Thank you.